are you sipping on? Emma, I did not notice. <laughs> Does this change this things? Is hilarious. <laughs> oh my god, this chick is back again. <laughs> All the sips. <laughs> All the sips for sip talk. Oh my gosh, I love it. Hello. Hello. <laughs> How you doing? So good. How are you, Emma? I'm good. I'm good. What are you sipping on? I am sipping on this fun little drink I made with some strawberries you in it. I wish I could show you what it's talking me. <laughs> what flavor are you drinking? Oh, are we twinning? Okay, so you just made yours fancy and I'm uh, being so basic. I'm drinking PC lemon flavored sparkling water. Love it. PC brand. Classic. What's yours? Mine's also PC brand. I think it's a grapefruit and then a splash of Wilfred's, what I had last week. Cheers. Cheers. Happy podcast day. Yes. Oh my God. So I have my lemon sparkling water. You have your fancy <laughs> sparkling <laughs> water that you made cute. And this reminds me because I meant to ask you, you posted on your Instagram story, I think yesterday, your fridge, which was complete fridge goals, and you had it stocked (laughs) and it was so like satisfying to look at. Did I see, or am I crazy? Did I see a watermelon flavored PC sparkling water? Yeah, you did. Oh my God, that's what I'm drinking. It's not grapefruit. It's, it's watermelon. watermelon. I just had a sip. Yeah, I was like, this doesn't taste right. It is watermelon. Never yes. tried a watermelon seltzer before. Is it good? Okay, you got to try it. It is good. It is so good. <laughs> you have it there. <laughs> okay, I have grapefruit bubblies. I forgot that the bubblies yeah. are that. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Um, that is a good eye. And thank you for the compliment. Jonas is coming home from a trip tomorrow and he's having like fully stocked as kind of a welcome home. Oh, here's, here's a stock. What a lucky yeah. guy. Okay. Yeah, let's right. do our sober wins for the week. You go first. Okay. My sober win is that while well, I went on a date today and I have just been going on my fair share of dates lately, like, and Sober dating is an experience, and it's something that was very hard to wrap my head around Um, when I first got sober. I had such a hang-up around it. I struggled so hard to to wrap my head around it in the early days. And now it's like I've been – I think in the past month, I've gone on three different like first dates, um, and none that warranted a second date. (laughs) (laughs) dating life you know uh, um but yeah so so that's my sober win is that yeah sober dating that's my sober win it's it's something else I'm now, now I love that yeah now that I do it sober I genuinely am like I can't believe I ever did this like drinking because at first I, I was so just like oh my god dating without drinking WTF now I'm like Dating while drinking, WTF. You can make yourself lo- be into anyone when you're drinking, literally. And that's what so I love about true. the fact that – Yeah, that's what I love about the fact that I haven't had second dates with any of these guys is because I had the clear-mindedness to be like, this isn't it. And if I was drinking, I probably would have maybe hooked up with them or maybe like probably kept hanging out with them and being like, whatever, it's fun. So – that makes me really grateful. Like I'm genuinely, I'm fully present to actually be paying attention and like able to evaluate whether this is the right person for me, which is a really good thing. Such a good point. It's so funny that we go to, well, we used to, but that we as society go to alcohol 
immediately for first dates. It's like, let's go yeah. for drinks. And I don't know about you, but a lot of the time I'd actually drink before I met the person to ease nerves. Oh, so yep. already you're Same. getting like a skewed perspective of them. So I love that sober win. It's like my favorite sober win so far. Thank you. And I will just add real quick that funny enough, and I didn't tell you this, one of the the guy who I went out with today said as a joke – but he's he had done very well. He had done very well on the me being sober part up until now. But he he said, "How am I going to get you to like me if you're not drinking?" No. <laughs> yeah. Um. Stop. So is he getting a second <laughs> date? <laughs> he, he's not getting a second date. But he did say that. Say. I didn't tell you. I I kind of wanted to wait to to. To get your reaction here but he had done so well up until that point he didn't make it a thing he said i see you i see you don't drink so normally i'd ask you to drink so let's get dinner instead he didn't even bring it up until it kind of like came up later and he was like so you probably get this all the time you don't have to tell me but like like he was good about it and then he made that comment and it's kind of funny because it proves my point of like yeah i'm not just gonna like you because i'm drunk <laughs> Oh my goodness. Please. I cannot believe you said that. <laughs> okay. Bye. bye. <laughs> what's your, what's your uh, go-to dating? Do you use an app? What is it? I am on hinge. Nice. That's my, that's- I feel like hinge is the one that people get, you know, their find their partners on. I hear, I meet a lot of people that met on hinge. Yeah. Hinge is more of like, I'm looking for a relationship. App, right like not i'm looking to fuck like tinder exactly exactly that's what it is now isn't it tinder oh tinder you don't like touch up. bumble is still okay but hinge is more like i think hinge is more quality <laughs> we're looking for love here like yes. genuine connection at hinge yeah love it hinge is like if hinge was on the bachelor hinge is there for the right reasons <laughs> <laughs> Okay, what's your sober win? Ooh, okay. Uh, my sober win is that I had an unfortunate situation where I broke and dislocated my toe. And I'd never done that before sober. I'd only ever injured myself once a hairline fractured at the top of my foot. Another time I sprained my hand both times I was drinking. So this was the first time I had done it sober. And I don't know why I think this is a win, but because I was just being clumsy and me and it wasn't alcohol that was like causing me to move in, in ways that I wasn't, I don't think that's a win. I think the win is that I didn't No, I drink. love that. I love that it's a win. You're like, I injured myself sober, bitches. I win. I wasn't drunk for this. Yeah. Okay. That's my win. I love so, it. Your poor Let toe. You, I yeah. don't love that you broke your toe, but I actually am obsessed with that way of framing it. <laughs> yeah. And then I just think I rebroke it, which is a fun addition mm. to it. You know, still not drinking the pain away. I'm just living through it. And wow, what a feeling to actually feel the dislocation happen and to actually feel the break happen. Ew, I still think about it. It still comes back in my mind and I'm like, just like drop so, into your head and you shudder thinking about it. Yeah. And honestly, I'm a clumsy person. I just am. But this just reiterates that fact because I was walking to my desk. It was 9 a.m. I was Instagramming. I had a coffee <laughs> and I did it on the side of our bed frame. Aww. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. I mean, can you can you hurt yourself in a non-clumsy way? 
Maybe if you're like playing a sport, but I guess yeah, I guess sports. I love how you were like it's starting your Monday Instagramming. You're probably like Monday morning motivation. <laughs> like, <laughs> let me be inspirational <laughs> to start the week. Honestly, I'm sure oh. that's exactly what it was. I wish I could remember <laughs> what I was doing. So like posting a story, walking with my coffee. Too bad yeah. I didn't get it on my story the uh, whole thing. That would have been um, really funny, yeah. actually. It's too bad. Oh my god, poor you. I felt so bad about that. That's freaking brutal. Because you broke it sideways. Pointing in the wrong oh, direction. I just think, like, I think to how bad it hurts when you just stub your toe. Like, there's no, Mm -hmm. there's nothing worse, the pain. So I just, like, imagining the next level of that, I don't want to. (laughs) I don't want to imagine it. Yeah, hopefully you never will have to. You know, it's not fun. Not fun. But on that note, yeah, what is fun is sharing our stories. Yes, and today is Haley's day. (laughs) We get to hear all about Haley's story. I'm so excited. So tell me, I know last week we started with my childhood. I want to hear about yours, and I want to hear about what kind of like the mindset was around specifically like drinking as well, kind of like in your household when you were growing up? Yeah. So I grew up with my mom. My, uh, I call him my sperm donor was Mm -hmm. not in my life. So it was my mom and I and my sister. She, she's eight years older. So she was in a different stage and often not at home because she'd be, you know, out doing her, her thing. And, um, yeah, so alcohol wasn't, a big concern growing up. My mom certainly didn't have a a weird relationship with alcohol. It wasn't of concern really, or a flag at all. So I didn't grow up really knowing too much about it. Interesting. That I can remember, that I can remember though, I'm sure my mom did have conversations with me about it, especially as I grew older and actually started to drink myself. And I started drinking at age 13. So that was kind of the norm in the town that I grew up in. Really? Starting that young? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was quite a party town. And our school was quite small. I think when I was in high school, which was grade 7 to 12. So that would be age 12 to 17? Yeah, to like 18. Wow. people turn. Right. So... That's and an only three hundred people of of kids, like a, an eighteen year old to a twelve year old, but your peers. I know, isn't it crazy? Yeah. Now, now in the town, there's a couple more schools, but at the time when I'd grown up there, it was um, it was quite small. I think our grad class uh, was the biggest at like seventy something kids. Wow, I didn't that realize. Ever graduated there? Yeah, it was just a small town. Um, I didn't realize you'd grown up in a small town. Yeah, yeah. Or was it just um, that the Whistler. school was small? No, I mean, Whistler's a small town in the in the summer. And then, uh, well, it used to be. It's changed because it's a, a summer destination now as well. But it's a resort town. So people generally go up in the winter because it's, you know, got a, a world-class ski resort worldwide. I always forget so, that um, you grew up in Whistler. Yeah, yeah. And it was a, it was a really great place to grow up. Uh, everyone was super active and uh, again, that tight knit community was a was a blessing and a curse because you knew what everyone was doing, you knew everything yeah. about everybody. But the the party lifestyle there, and I'm not sure if this is because it was a resort town where people go to party mm-hmm. um, and still do. But our school was, you know, kind of had that same mentality as well. And so, did you remember at- the first time that you drank? Yeah, yeah, it was before a high school dance. Or was it? I know I, uh, I, I had said that to you um, 
before, but I'm thinking it might have been at a friend's house and we were just exploring one night or it might have been the high school dance. It was all around the same time. Okay. I think it was a high school dance and it was on the mountain and there were people from outside of Whistler coming to join. And and when new people are brought into the mix, it's always very exciting. And so we drank before we, me and and some friends, and then I'm sure I drank enough to be like falling down. And again, thinking it was funny because that's what we thought was funny at the time, but continued to drink throughout high school at dances, but then also at house parties, at friends' houses, in the basements, in undergrounds. That's where we congregate. And what was it like for you drinking in high school and being like in this party atmosphere in high school specifically, like at such a young age? Like what was that experience like for you? Uh, I mean, at the time I had, a, I had a lot of fun in high school. Mm-hmm. I don't have too many bad memories. I do see myself, my timeline now from when I kind of started to change and started to drink more. And now I can see that it was a problem at the time. I didn't think it was, Okay, but I would, yeah, I would use alcohol as a crutch to be social and to meet new people and to, you know, if I had a crush on someone and we were at a party, mm-hmm. I felt like I needed to drink in order to communicate with them. Yep. I kind of really started to use it as a crutch more so after I was diagnosed with a, a neuropathy at age 15. It's a, a progressive neuropathy called CMT. And essentially what it does is starts to debilitate your limbs, both your your legs and your arms at the time I was told when I was diagnosed that I could be in a wheelchair in, in 10 years. So wow. that just, yeah, yeah. Something, something that was a, a, a real uh, pivotal point in my, in my life because no things, yeah, things went quite downhill after that, um, mm. specifically with my drinking as well. I think mm. up until that point, it was just, Hey, we're in high school and we're drinking and we're partying and di- I didn't think too much of it. But mm-hmm. after that, after that diagnosis, I I really did start to change and it's funny reflecting back because I can see it um, in a in a much more clear way. But tell me more what what led to that diagnosis and yeah, how did you process it at that time? Well, I there were two things. I think my grandma, we were on a trip and my grandma had noticed that I seemed to be running a little different mm-hmm. and my mom uh, and her had a conversation about it and she said you should probably get her checked out. And so did my PE teacher mention it to my mom. And I think that was when she was like, okay, so because we were up in Whistler, it's an hour and a half from the city, she was taking me down for all these tests. And to be honest, it's such a blurry time because my coping mechanisms of like traumatic events is to just black them out, so to speak. Like I I just, I don't remember them. So if I, if I like go back into my memories, like I'm doing right now, I might not I might not remember it the same way that it has happened. So everything that I'm saying is just from what I can. It's like from your best kind, kind of recollection of it. Yeah. 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 Because it's all such a blurry time. But yeah, we went down to a bunch of appointments and then I was finally diagnosed. But because I was at this like this age of becoming a woman and figuring out who I wanted to be in the world, like, at leaving high school, I was diagnosed when I was 16 or 15, around that age, I think right in between. And then had this mindset after that, that I... Like, what am I going to do? My life is over. And I completely blocked out this diagnosis. I didn't talk about it with anybody. I didn't address it. I didn't even research it. I hardly knew anything about it. 
And flash forward to like, when I actually got sober in my late 20s, that's when I finally started to address it. Um, But well, yeah, which, you know, that's like a good 13 years of pretending something didn't exist. Mm -hmm. But it really changed my life. And I had this idea of who I wanted to be. And knowing that this could debilitate me to the point of being in a wheelchair, Mm -hmm. I, I, I started to drink away those, those fears. And as I started to feel my body progress, I guess I, I don't know at what point, but I'd start to drink more just so I could like keep up with friends while we were walking somewhere, if we were rushing, cause I, it takes me a little bit longer mm. or really lean on alcohol to forget, Yeah, um, so that's, which was a huge problem. Yeah. Yeah. That's when there was really a shift between like innocent kind of high school partying, drinking, and like now you're drinking to cope with this this awful diagnosis, like news, scary news that you you can't process at that time. Yeah, exactly. It was a lot for me. And um, I, you know, growing up with a, a single mom, we, we grew up in, in just a, a kind of a different family dynamic. Like she yeah. was working to, for us to survive and I was doing my own thing. And I, I ended up going to university after high school and again, really just partied there. I I wasn't there to learn at all. So Mm -hmm. I ended up leaving. And over the later years of my teens, I, after I left university that same year. Just to come back to it, was there, like you say, you left university because you were just partying too much. Like, was there an event? Like what made you come to the decision to actually leave? I don't know if there was just one decision, but my, so I finished first year and into second year, I moved in with my, my friend and I just realized that what I was doing there wasn't what I actually wanted to do with my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And that if anything, this might not be the time for me to be here and just made the decision. Okay. If I'm, if I'm going to learn and if I'm going to spend this money and time, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm putting it to good use. And I just wasn't. Yeah. So there were there were a whole lot of factors, but first year of, of university was was wild. Like it was just a a crazy time. I, I yeah, just like and so I, much I so much drinking, so much partying, so much partying. Like it, there was no learning at all, and just kind of behaved and like I look back at it now, and I'm just not proud of it. Yeah. Like, Did you feel that way at the, the time? Did you feel like this like knowing that this is problematic or were you kind of in denial about that or did you just kind of not think about it I think I I was in a bit of a denial Mm -hmm. I knew that you know it was likely definitely problematic yeah problematic and I got myself into situations that I'll get into another time Mm -hmm. but yeah I, I did know it was problematic and that was kind of around the time where I had some close friends go hey are you okay do we need to like you know do you need help? Or do right. you, do we need to? And I was really depressed as well. Mm-hmm. That was another layer of it all during, I'd say 16 to like 19. I was in such a low. Um, and I, I don't want to just say it's because of my diagnosis, because there was so much more to it. Mm-hmm. But I, I just really was having a hard time figuring out who I wanted to be and, and who I was representing myself as I know I didn't like. So mm-hmm. I, I had trouble with that. And, and being an, a late teenager is hard yeah. in itself. Yeah. Like, it's not easy. It's so, not. 
Yeah. And when you add, when you add alcohol into it and other party drugs, which I certainly was doing around that time, mm-hmm. I, I, it just added fuel to the fire. Like they say, out drinking alcohol is like pouring gasoline on anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I certainly was doing that this time in my life. And to make everything even more complicated, I ended up meeting my sperm donor around that same time yeah. and it did not go well. Yeah. And he was in my life for like four months and it did not end well. And I haven't spoken or seen him since for, yeah, many reasons. But all of that combined was just like, that's a Haley lot. could not handle it. And how old yeah, and it, How old were you when you met him? Uh, not 18 or 19. So you reconnected. It went terribly. And then, yeah. And then he's out of your life again. And that's I will say, I'm happy. Yeah, it is a lot, but I will say I'm happy it happened because at least I knew, you know, I grew up with the, an amazing mom that played the role of both a mom and dad. I had my, my mm-hmm. grandpa and my uncles that also played that role, yep. but my mom was such a, such a powerhouse and, and, um, superhero in my upbringing. Like she was Yay, amazing. Stephanie. Yay, Stephanie. Stephanie. <laughs> both of our moms have young names for them, <laughs> for their generation. <laughs> Megan stuff. They yeah. totally do. So true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She's amazing. So saying goodbye to him again, I didn't say goodbye to him the first time. Cause I was like just a newborn, but saying goodbye to him was easy ish because I knew that, okay, this is happening for a reason. He's not meant to be here mm-hmm. in my life. Mm-hmm. Goodbye. Good riddance. And my mom continued to, and continues to be that that figure. Yeah. Um, and just to clarify, it wasn't actually a sperm donor situation. You call no. you call your biological dad your sperm donor because that's all yeah, he is. I don't, yeah, he's not he's not a father, he's not a dad, you know. Yeah. I don't know what else to call him. So I kind of just joke and say he's my he's my sperm donor. Yeah. But yeah, that after that, again, I was I had a really tough time. I yeah. struggled with depression and ended up in a facility for a week maybe Mm -hmm. it was even 10 days for your um, depression at that time yeah yeah and how did that how did that come to be what was happening like did someone Mm. did your family want you to go did you make the decision yourself to go yeah it was it was definitely um uh family definitely helped get me there Yeah. yeah um but there were certain situations that that happened that that really did lead me there and um Mm -hmm. just in probably if the lowest place you could imagine I was there um so yeah my I I just thanked my grandma the other day actually because she and my grandpa picked me up from this place which is so sweet yeah I love them so much yeah so that that was my uh that was my early adult and late childhood life and my 20s were pretty much just like a roller coaster of trying to figure it out. Like, Mm -hmm. I know that alcohol is not meant for me. I knew it in the bottom of my heart. But I had built this like persona of myself, I feel like this person that I wanted to be based on pop culture and what I was watching and what I thought was cool. And I really had this like mindset, I needed to be this certain way to be liked. And I think I always had that growing up and I don't know where that stemmed from, but I felt like I had to portray myself and behave in a certain way. And that included drinking. Like I needed. That's fascinating because it it really is so ingrained in us from like the media that that's just what grownups do. Right. Like they drink martini, but the martini gives you a buzz so you have that that comp what's it called liquid courage yeah liquid courage. yeah 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 
I was just like, oh, I just need some liquid courage. Oh, I just need this. Which is um, bullshit, by the way, because the most courageous thing is doing things sober. We'll amen, sis. Yes, but continue. So liquid courage, it, totally relate. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and that's how I learned to be. That's how I learned to socialize. That's how I learned to be an adult. And I was not doing it the right way. I was never someone that could just really stop at one. I think maybe I did it a couple times, but the overall picture is that no, I did not just stop at one. And it was always more. And, and on a weekend, it was drinking to get drunk um, with friends. I rarely drank on my own. Maybe like the next morning, if I was still, I still felt drunk and I needed to drink, I'd start again. Yeah, um, that was in hair of the dog later in life. Yeah, yeah. But it was always with friends getting shit face. And that was just what we did, um, especially on weekends. So I guess the the turning point for me would have been a couple points. Like I, yeah. I did, I actually did. I think it was when I was 20 after that, like whole explosion in my life, I did take like 50 or 60 days off booze. And I remember wow. putting my status on Facebook. Yeah. I remember putting my status on Facebook to 50 or, or maybe it was 60, but basically those were the amount of days I had um, wow. sober at that point. That's um, like, so at 20, you did that. That's really impressive. And that just kind of shows that you you had that knowing. Yeah, I think so. Mm. I mean, at that point, my lifestyle had become a conversation. I mean, yeah. it had put me in such a low that I went to a facility. Mm-hmm. Like it, I can look at it back at it now and say, if I was not drinking and living the lifestyle I was living at at that age, I probably wouldn't have been in that position. Right. I really don't think I would have because in a sober state of mind, I can think clearly and and um, address my problems head on. At least I know that now. Mm. Um, and it's so easy to when you're so far removed from alcohol like I am now to look back and start to psychoanalyze like, why did this happen? What, what was this? And, and like kind of piece the puzzles together. But yeah. what's so funny is that funny, funny, peculiar yeah. is that I, as soon as I quit drinking for good at age 28, after years of like just this roller coaster of not loving myself and not feeling comfortable in my own skin and trying to figure it out and just playing this dance. And, uh, all of a sudden, like this weight was off my shoulders. Like all of these feelings I'd been suppressing with alcohol and feelings related to my diagnosis and to my interaction with sperm donor yeah. and and all of these situations that I was drinking to forget about, just like my shoulders were just cleared. Like my wow. my, I, I just felt lighter and freer. How long because, after quitting drinking would you say that that happened? Say in the first like six months, wow. not immediately, yeah. because it was like a, it was a challenge Process? to to process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of wild to think back about it now and seeing why I drank the way I did and how I did. I can see it a lot differently now. I mean, I know I also started young and I, I built up this, this toxic relationship with, with alcohol um, from a young age, but the turning point for me really was at that age of being diagnosed for sure. Yeah. And when I'm curious, so you said that in your, I think in your 20s, around the time that you were in university ish, or when you left university, some of your friends brought up your drinking to you. 
How did you mm-hmm. receive that? Like, did you get defensive? Were you offended about it? Or were you open do- to the conversation? I think I listened, but I didn't listen. Mm-hmm. And I pushed people out that had any judgment of my lifestyle mm-hmm. or were critical of the way that I was. And I don't know why I did that, but I didn't want to surround myself with people that were doubting me as a person. And at that point, that's how I felt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. So so after you had gone to the facility for for a week or for 10 days, then you kind of continued into your 20s. Then how did it progress and what brought you to the point where you decided like finally that you were done? Hmm. There were, you know, there were multiple events. Um, I, I like you, really struggled with my anxiety. And it was all related to the alcohol I was drinking. I have anxiety now, but it's like, it's on a whole different level. Mm-hmm. It's manageable. And it's, it's something that I can address and go, why am I feeling like this? Whereas with alcohol, it was just like this fiery, fiery, like internal struggle and pain. And I, like you, I was sick of it. It just, and, and I didn't even, there were times where I didn't, I didn't black out the night before yeah. I remembered everything. And I still felt this feeling like you. And I'm, it, it felt awful. I'm like, why am I, why am I doing this to myself? When but did that exactly also, start for you? Do you, uh, it wasn't always there for you. Am I right? Yeah, no, it wasn't. It started in my twenties. Okay. I think, or maybe like late around that, like that area in my late teens and then early twenties, I think that's when it really started because it was affecting my, it was affecting my day to day. Mm. Even if it was just a weekend, it would derail my whole entire week. And there were situations that we could chat about in a future episode Mm -hmm. that I, I just behaved in ways that I never would ever in a sober state and just felt serious shame yeah and like how could I still be in this position where I'm I'm ashamed of of my behaviors and I felt like there were times where I was just like oh you know what it is what it is I'm in my 20s and I'm having fun and this is what's meant to happen and I'll figure (laughs) it out in the future and, and try to justify those actions but I also just put myself in situations that I could have avoided if I wasn't drinking and and again wasn't using my best judgment with people certain people and just I I just know that a lot of things that a lot of difficult times could have been avoided so Mm. again that common denominator was alcohol yeah and so I was drunk at a drunk funnily enough at Mm -hmm. um, a casino and met my partner Jonas who I'm I'm with now and we were immediately drawn to each other like my my friend who had just broken up with her boyfriend was like, let's go to the casino. Like, and so we were going to celebrate that, you know, this relationship had ended. Oh, and, how and ironic. Drinking. I never knew that part that that's why you were there. Yeah. And she was playing, it was either craps or roulette. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Cause it's such a blur, mm-hmm. but Jonas walked by and we were immediately just like attracted to each other. And, um, and honestly, we've, not left each other's side essentially ever Aww. since like, we've, been, <laughs> we've been so tight ever since uh, yeah. but we did spend the first bunch of months uh drinking knowing that I had my relationship that I did with alcohol um I'm not going to speak for him but I we decided like 
I think four months in, let's give booze a break and really get to know each other. Cause it got to a point where we started to kind of clash and, and not understand each other when we were drinking, mm-hmm. you know? So we're like, this is only happening when alcohol is involved. So why are we allowing alcohol to dictate our relationship? And you yeah. know what's so funny? A friend at the time had said, you know, well, if you guys could, when I mentioned, we're going to stop drinking for a bit. Oh, well, if you guys can't drink together, it's probably not going to work out. Oh my if you guys God. are fighting when you're drinking. Like that, that. Because drinking that is the mo- so important that if you can't drink together, how about the fact that you got sober together is amazing. Like that's so funny. Oh, isn't it? It's so, but honestly, that was my mentality with alcohol too. It's yeah. like, we need it. We need it in our lives. This is, this is how to live especially in a romantic relationship I think I think it does feel like this romantic thing to have drinks together like that was something I really struggled to let go of that kind of idea too yeah well it's because again we're we're sold this idea through through media film television etc that it's like it's classy and and it's um it's you're sophisticated if you're drinking like champagne or like a martini. Well, you can still drink those. They just don't bring along all the shame, guilt, and regret that comes along with the after. Amen. And also, who's st- like I'm I am in awe of people that can just stop at one drink. Yeah. And then just go, okay, I'm just gonna look classy right now drinking this and then walk away from it. Whereas I'd be like, looking classy now, look at me in a, like even an hour's time. Being sloppy to use the word that we hate. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So it's true. I would have, if I could have one, I could, I could have one, but I would feel so deprived that it was just like depressing almost. Yeah. Didn't it feel like, it's like, what's the point? I really, a little bit. I honestly felt that, but, but now I can just have one. Um, and I can make one it like, alcohol you know, free one. A, yeah, a fancy drink, but because mm-hmm. we're not drinking an addictive substance, we don't have this. I need to drink more and more and more, which is yeah, really a point I got to where I just, um, yeah. Yeah. Drink a lot. So, so you and Jonas decide together, let's take oh, yes. a break. Yes. So, so we took what? a break. Well, we were going to do dry January and then I had a, a big party for work and I just had to drink at that because mm-hmm. we were wrapping up a, a whole series and that was the final hurrah. The next morning I woke up and I was just like, and I cried at that party. I don't even know Aww. why I was crying. Yeah. But that was just the like, I'm crying at like a send off for a pretty awesome I think I was on it for like four I was working there for four years and I cried. Yeah. So I woke up and I was just like, okay, this is it. This is it. We're doing it. And and we I'm did done. it and we're still doing it. it. I love that. It really, yeah. It was so nice to, to be able to have an accountability buddy and, yeah. and, and do it with him for sure. Because I didn't read, I didn't do the classic, like, Hey, I'm quitting. I'm quitting alcohol. I didn't read Quitlet. I didn't listen to podcasts. I didn't join any support groups. I just, got rid of it and dealt with it. I dealt with everything that came with it. You literally it just did. like did it <laughs> and like did yeah. it on your own, but like together, but on your own, like you didn't necessarily use like the classic resources that, that a lot of people use. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely not your conventional way of, of 
you know, ditching the drink. But at the same time, I know like my story sounds like, wow, she really had an addiction to this substance. Mm -hmm. Um, I, to this day, even after all that's happened in my last 15 years, I never felt like I needed it. Like I woke up and I needed a drink. You weren't like I, shaking. You weren't waking up with a shake. Yeah. Like, yeah. You weren't physically. Dependent on yeah. it. I felt like I was dependent on it to socialize, which is an, some form of, you Mentally know, dependent. Itself. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So when I, when I quit, I just removed myself from the party, mm-hmm. so to speak. And I just hibernated and I ate junk food and I was on my couch and I, I really got into soul cycle because I was able to like be in this loud club like environment and cry and like get all my frustrations out mm-hmm. on while doing something good for my body. But that was my recovery. And I feel like at this point I, I am recovered. This is just me now. And I'm a, an alcohol free badass bitch. Yes. But that's just, <laughs> that's just what it feels like mm-hmm. now. And I, I'm happy to say that I'm just an alcohol. I just don't drink. Foods, love you know? it. How empowering does that? I don't feel? drink. Don't you just love to say it? Yeah, I don't drink booze. So how? Like what? It's such a shock to people. Too. Oh my god, it is. So how long into the break? Because it was just going to be a break. At what point were yeah. you like, "Oh no, this is it. Like we're done. Actually, for real." I don't know if there was a point. It's almost like like I I, I wrote this in a post. So I'm not. I don't have a mentality where I just say like forever. I'm doing this Mm. till the end of time because Mm. time is limited. We are here for a short amount of time. For me, I just looked in front of like one foot in front of the other. Yeah, one day at a time. One day at a time. Truly one day at a time. Yeah. That's that's in my sober toolkit, you know, Mm -hmm. if if I were to to give my advice to anyone that's that's looking to make a change, like literally just one day at a time. And somehow that just started to tumble and, and it felt good. And and it, I just got to a point where I didn't, I just felt like I didn't need it. But I also felt this sense of freedom from everything that I'd been suppressing with booze. I couldn't imagine why I needed to go back into that place yeah. now that I had freed myself from it. Oh my God. I love um, it. Cause it is freedom. Yeah. It really is. It is. It's alcohol is like, it's like wearing handcuffs. Yeah. Like it, it I almost, this I feel like I'm like a brand new person now. I, I feel it. like I've been born a, born again. I'm addressing the concerns that I had or the issues that I had in my life. And and that feels really good because, again, we are here for a limited amount of time. And in order to make the most of our lives, I want to live and I want to feel good and I want to feel healthy and I want to be the best version of me as possible. And that does not include booze. It just doesn't. Yes. And why... Like we don't need it. No. And just, yeah. And also how is coming back to kind of being healthy and and feeling good? How is your health after your diagnosis? How's your health now and and your mental health as well? Oh, thanks for asking, Em. So, okay. I know the doctor said that you could be in a wheelchair in 10 years. I'm not. And I don't use any support. Um, there are people in this condition that have like walking sticks or they're in wheelchairs, um, Mm -hmm. because it progresses differently. There are so many different strains. My strain, I feel very fortunate that I haven't been too affected. Um, my lower, my lower legs have been like, I pretty much lost most of my calf, uh, muscle, I would say, Mm -hmm. and I don't wear heels. Um, and I can't stand on my tippy toes, but other than that, 
I, I just feel like happy to be alive. And same with my mental health. My It's never been better. And that was almost, uh, I mean, I still struggle with anxiety mm. here and there. Actually, I went to a friend's birthday, I think it was last summer. And we had to walk through this busy park, me and Jonas, and I just froze. I was so overwhelmed and anxious to go into this setting mm. where I knew people were partying and like walking past like so many people at this park. It was like this crazy party. And Jonas, bless him. I love him so much. was like, it's going to be okay. Let's just sit here. Let's just get through this. Aww. Like sometimes I'll have moments yeah. like that. And that's what I used to drink. You know, if I was nervous before an event, I would drink before it. So it's been really helpful because he understands and he maybe doesn't have the anxiety that I have, but is able to really understand what I'm experiencing um, after knowing me for so many years now. Uh, but other than that, like my, my mental health is uh, thriving, very yes. happy and just <laughs> very happy to be here. Like, I just feel so lucky. I feel like we, well, isn't it Laura McCowan that said we are the luckiest? Yes. So that are, yes. I really yep. feel, yes, I really feel like we are the we luckiest. Are. I do too. I genuinely feel like having as someone who like had a problem or problematic relationship with alcohol, whatever the hell you want to call it, um, I feel lucky because I think that if you're a normal drinker, you don't have a reason to stop or you don't have that like push to stop. And so you're deprived of, of experiencing how incredible sobriety really is. So like I do genuinely feel very lucky to to have had this like even though it feels when you're in it like the worst <laughs> oh I love that it's so true it is I mean funny that there's people that just will never get get it you know they yeah. they won't and that's everybody lives their different lives and I love that about this community too is that we're so welcoming you know, to people that may, may be questioning it and the Instagram community, which is how we met. Yeah. I don't know if we've said that yet, <laughs> but through Instagram, we've become um, fast friends and, and it's just such a wonderful, amazing community. And there, there's a way to not feel so alone yeah. because sobriety can be really isolating Very. in your day to day. I don't know too many sober people in real life, no, you know, so me neither. So yeah. it is, it is for sure. And like that, that is the amazing thing is that it's the least judgmental community. It's the most supportive community. Like no one, if you like, no one's going to shame you for drinking. We all get it. We've all been there. And you and I are also very on the same page with like, we're fine with drinkers around us. We're fine. Like I'm very, like, I'm not someone who's bothered if people drink around me. I'm not like, I'm not anti-alcohol. Um no. Yeah. So I think we're also on the same page about that. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's another thing too. I, as much as like we, we cheer about this alcohol free life, uh, if someone wants to live, uh, you know, a life with alcohol, that's like good for them. No you judgment. Know, if I could stop at just one, I probably wouldn't be here right now. Exactly. You know, I'm grateful that I am. That's but... the thing. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, okay. So what, would you tell someone now what's your biggest kind of takeaway what's your biggest piece of advice encouragement for someone who is struggling with their drinking who's questioning or who's starting their journey what would you tell them first of all i'm very excited for you yes it's a scary time it is 
<laughs> it is a terrifying time mm-hmm. to question your alcohol use, especially just because society pushes it on us so much and your friends might all drink and you might think what will happen to those relationships. But first and foremost, you do you and you should live a life that's right for you. So if that means questioning your relationship with alcohol, do that and take a break, try a month off, uh, see how it feels, connect with this community on Instagram, because we are born into this world without alcohol, right? We don't drink as kids. We start growing into, well, me 13. I didn't really give myself the chance to grow too much without booze, but let's get back to a place where we're not using a, a substance to alter our amazing personalities. And you, whoever is listening, uh, have an amazing personality and you're an amazing human and you don't need alcohol to, to change that. Yes. Oh my God. So beautifully said. I love it. I love it. Thanks, Em. Oh, thank you for sharing your story. You're so inspirational. You, the fact that like you went through some really hard shit and the fact that you came out, you made this a drastic change and you did it like your own way and then you've come on the other side just like so inspirational so just oh my god I just love you and I would just want to shout from the rooftops how amazing you are uh, <laughs> thanks Emma. I love you too I'm so happy that we've met and um oh my god me too yeah like I could have asked you 8 million more questions and I wanted to and we're just gonna have to save them for the rest Yes, yes. And you have a fun something to share with us yes. to wrap it up, okay. don't you? Now we're we're always wrapping it up on a on a quote or a little thought. So a quote note. A I quote love it. note. Um <laughs> so this is a Laura McCowan quote. So author of We Are the Luckiest, Speak of the Devil. Very specific to sobriety, but I I read this very early on and I just absolutely loved it. She says You are human, not an addict or an alcoholic or any of the worst things you've ever done. Addiction is just an experience, one of many that can shape a life. It's not unique. It's not a flaw. It's not even that interesting. It's a natural human instinct to soothe, to connect, to experience ourselves differently, gone awry. It's one of the most fundamental aspects of our nature written into every religious and anthropological record from the beginning of time. The only thing it says about you or me is that we are human, just like all the other humans who ever existed. That's it. (gasps) That's beautiful. So good, right? That's amazing. All right. On that note, (laughs) we will see you all next week. Have a good one. Bye.